to see you today. My name is Mark Moore, and uh, I've, I've introduced myself to several of y'all today, and you didn't have a clue of, that I was even on your staff. And, uh, and so we're all just kind of starting even right now. The um, most important thing you need to know about me is that I gave my life to Jesus on March the 22nd, 1969, under a goalpost at the Robert E. Lee High School in Tyler, their practice field. I just run, uh, uh, I was a hurdler in high school, and I just run the high hurdles. If you know anything about hurdling, you have to three-step in between those hurdles. I was way out in front. I'd never lost a hurdle race up until then. I chopped my steps in between the last hurdles, and everybody blew out of me, and I was crushed. I've already been under conviction. I thought my mother had been talking to my pastor and telling me all my sins because he looked at me every Sunday. And now having been a pastor for many years, I understand that every Sunday you were looking right at me. Anyway, I was so crushed, I went under, got under the goalpost, and having already been under conviction, I had the thought, if this crushes me, I'm in real serious trouble when something bad happens. And under that goalpost, March the 22nd, 1969, I gave my heart to Jesus. Now, don't be impressed. The only reason that I remember was March 22nd, 1969. Later that afternoon, uh, I was uh, involved in the intermediate hurdles, and I won first place. They gave me a blue ribbon, and it has March 22nd, 1969. <laughs> That's the only reason I remember that day. I celebrate that day, just like birthdays. And I encourage you to do the same thing. If you don't know what day it was, make up a date and just celebrate it. Uh, man, if we can celebrate our, our born day, can't we celebrate our born again day? And so uh, we are thrilled uh, to be with you. Uh, this was not on our radar. I, uh, we resigned from our church after 31 years back in December. And December the 6th was the last time that I had preached. First time I had not preached like regularly in 40 something years. And so today um, I want to find out who, which one of you brought the two fish and five loaves because we may need it as I continue to, to go and go and go and go. I'm excited about preaching after two months is what I'm trying to say to you. But uh, today, uh, a little bit different than how I normally would preach. I became so convicted down through the years that the greatest need in the life of a church was forgiveness. Now, we all know that if we claim Jesus, invite Jesus, you know, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We believe that. And we've gotten right with Jesus by doing that. And he has forgiven our sins as far as the east is from the west. Our problem is not with Jesus. Our problem is with everybody else. And we tend to struggle with that. And when we struggle with unforgiveness it dampens our fire until our fire almost goes out and we become obsessed with that offense. And so as I wrapped up my ministry, I just knew that, that God was leading me to, to have a ministry of leading people in forgiveness. So this is a really strange way to begin a ministry. Now, I am not here. I did not come down here to be your preacher. 
Just last, they introduced me last week. He's not here to preach, but he's preaching next Sunday. <laughs> I've come down here to help you, to walk alongside of you, to reach people for Christ. Uh, as you'll get to know me, uh, I love sharing Jesus. I absolutely love evangelism. Uh, I do not have the gift of evangelism. I wish I did, but that doesn't mean I can't do it and you can either. I love seeing people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's what gets me up in the mornings. And so today, as I've shared with you uh, my salvation experience, I'm looking forward to getting to know you. Everybody has a story. That's part of my story. You have a story too. And I look forward to getting to know your story. And, uh, and we can begin to grow in Christ together. Looking so forward to it. And so today, let's begin with the basics. You must be born again. I was here Wednesday night. And I was very curious. I was with, with Chuck as he's teaching the, the children. And he asked them, now I don't, what, what grades were that, Chuck? K through five. And there were 3,000 back there. <laughs> and Chuck said, how many of you, I don't know exact words, how many of you are Christians? And every hand went up, almost. I, there may have been one or two. Every hand went up. And I thought when I saw that, you know, if, he asked, if I asked that next Sunday, every hand would probably go up. Everybody in East Texas thinks they're saved. The problem is we're not. I like to refer to us as Christ followers. It's not what I say, it's what I do. You know, we're, we're, we're not to be fruit inspectors, but I can sure tell if I come across someone, are they living for Jesus or not? So let's just understand, as we are Christ followers, we have been forgiven of our sins. I don't know about you. I'll never speak for you. I can only speak for me. When he forgave me of my sins, that was a boatload. And there are some things in my life that he forgave me of that I would hope no one would ever know about. And you're the same way. I don't take that forgiveness for granted. I know who I was at age 15. I had the mouth of a sailor. Don't say that proudly. I had a filthy mouth. And the moment Jesus came in my heart, I had, a new, I had a new language. Now, don't get me wrong. When you give your life to Jesus, whatever you're struggling with, oh, I'm done with that because Pastor Mark said that as soon as he gave his life to Jesus, he no longer cursed. That was just one thing. There were many things I still struggled with. But on that occasion, he cleaned my mouth up for good. It was amazing. So you must be born again. How's that happen? It doesn't happen because you come to church today. It doesn't happen because, like me, I, I walk down the next Sunday to the very next day to, to my little church in Tyler. And I went down, I was sitting by my mother, and I went down and I told the pastor, uh, I, get I was saved yesterday, I'm not sure I did it right. Uh, I need you to instruct me. And he didn't pray for me. He didn't say anything. He sat me down and I filled out a card. 
I got home. I said, Mom, Brother Bill didn't pray with me. I just fell out of car. She said, oh, you just don't remember. Said, no, I remember. <laughs> so I'm very, very concerned that people think, well, I joined the church. I uh, went down. I filled out a card. And, and so I must be saved. There's thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people in our country who think they are Christ followers because they filled out a card and joined the church. Or they were baptized. No. You are saved. You are a Christ follower because you admitted you needed a Savior. And you asked that Savior, Jesus, to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. There's no other one. There's no other name under heaven by which men may be saved. So let's understand that. The first step is salvation in Jesus Christ alone. Then let's talk about the stumbling blocks. One of the major stumbling blocks in our lives is unforgiveness. Uh, I've had this for several years, and it's, it's entitled, The Worst Obituary Ever Written. If you're not sure what an obituary is, it's when you die, and it's what they say about you in the paper. Okay? Uh, it says, Dolores Aguilar, 1929 to August 7, 2008. Dolores Aguilar, born in 1929 in New Mexico, left us on August the 7th, 2008. She will be met in the afterlife by her husband Raymond, her son Paul Jr., and daughter Ruby. She is survived by her daughters Marietta, Mitzi, Stella, Beatrice, Virginia, and Ramona, and son Billy, grandchildren Donnell, Joe, Mitzi, Mary, uh, Mario, Marty, Pinette, Tanya, Lita, Alexandria, Tommy, Billy, Matthew, Raymond, Kenny, Javier, Lisa, Ashley, and Michael. Great-grandchildren, Brendan, Joseph, Carissa, Jacob, Delaney, Sean, Sienna, Bailey, Christian, and Andra, Andre Jr., and Andrea, Keith, Saeed, Salma, Marissa, Emily, JC, Isabella, Samantha, and Emily. And I apologize if I missed someone. Dolores, here's the obituary. Dolores had no hobbies, made no contribution to society, and rarely shared a kind word or deed in her life. I speak for the majority of her family when I say her presence will not be missed by many. Very few tears will be shed and there will be no lamenting over her passing. Her family will remember Dolores as amongst ourselves. We will remember her in our own way, which were mostly sad and troubling times throughout the years. We may have some fond memories of her, and perhaps we will think of those times too later. But I truly believe at the end of, of the day, all of us will really only miss what we never had. A good and kind mother, a grandmother, and a great-grandmother. I hope she is finally at peace with herself. As for the rest of us left behind, <clears throat> I hope this is the beginning of a time of healing, and learning to be a family again. There will be no service, no prayers, no closure for the family she spent a lifetime tearing apart. We cannot come together in the end to see to it that her grandchildren and her great-grandchildren can say their goodbyes. So I say here for all of us, goodbye, Mom. We don't know the story. We don't know what happened to Dolores. But there is a great chance someone hurt her so badly in her earlier life 
that she decided to take it out on everybody she came in contact with. I pray that's not you. See, it's about forgiveness if you're a Christ follower. There is no option. You put that in your back pocket and say, you know, I'll forgive who I want to forgive. No, you're not walking with Jesus if you do that. Forgiveness, there's no, there's no alternative in the Christian life. So more than likely, each of you have walked in here today, each of us have walked in here today with some baggage. Well, maybe it's with some things that we need to clean up. Now, just so you know, I am not preaching what I do not live. I've had to clean some things up in the last two months. You don't pastor in a community like Canton without getting sideways to some people. It may be totally different out here in Martin's Mill. <laughs> but in Canton, 31 years, there's a lot of water under that bridge. And there are some bodies under there. So I have had some work to do in the last two months. And I tell you, it is one of the most freeing two months I've had in years. Let's talk about this. I hope you know by now that time heals nothing. You've heard that said before, well, you know, I'm just going to give it some time. No. Ten years later, when you see that person, it's going to be just as raw as the moment it happened. So is that how you want to live? You want to live where you're walking down the sidewalk and you see that person and you decide you have to walk on the other side of the street? I don't want to live like that. And I don't think most of you do either. So we need to deal with it. And the reason I think God has laid in my heart here today is because I have believed for years that what quenches revival in the church is unforgiveness in the seats. Absolutely. So we find this in Matthew chapter 18. In Matthew 18, verse 21, it says, Then Peter came and said to him, Jesus, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? And Peter said, up to seven times? Question mark. Peter thought he was being a very good Jew. Because the rabbis taught you forgive them three times. And Peter decided, well, if we're to get forgive three times, I'm going to double that and add one. And he said that to Jesus, and then look what he, Jesus said to him. In verse 22, Jesus said, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. If we had a video that we could play today of that experience with Peter and Jesus, I really think after Jesus said to Peter, 70 times seven, I really think Peter would say, 490 times? Are you kidding me? And Jesus says, Peter, it's not the number. It's every time. 
Then look what he says. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. And when he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Okay. This guy, this slave, owed the king 10,000 talents. One talent was worth 15 years of labor. So in my math, he owed him 150,000 days of labor. Now don't get caught up in the number. What Jesus is saying to Peter, it's not about counting, it's about character. It's not 490, Peter, and it's certainly not seven. It means we are to forgive as we have been forgiven. The problem is this. I want everybody, I want every one of you to give me grace. But I'm going to give you justice. That's how we operate, isn't it? We think everybody ought to forgive us. I mean, after all, look at us. Look at me. No. It's not just grace for me. It's grace for you. What does grace mean? It means undeserved favor, undeserved merit. I don't deserve grace. I didn't deserve for Jesus to forgive my sins and, and give me salvation on March the 22nd, 69. I did absolutely I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. He gave it to me. And that person that you have a problem with, that, that, that when you see them, your blood pressure goes up and you have all these thoughts, you know, they didn't deserve it. You don't deserve it either. Jesus said, it's about who you are in me. It's about being in Christ. In verse 25, but since he did not have the means to, to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, along with his wife and children, and all that he had and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. Wow. He forgave him 150,000 days of labor. That'd be a great story if it ended right there. That's a sweet story, isn't it? Kind of like what it is with our salvation. That day when I asked Christ to forgive me of my sins, He not only forgave me the sins I committed that day, but all the sins I'd ever committed that day and in the future. That's a pretty sweet deal. And so if the story ended right there, where this un, unpayable debt, you know that song we used to sing, He... I had a debt I could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. That's what it says. And this, this young man who owed the king an unpayable amount was forgiven. That's a picture of salvation. Now I know y'all look, look so 
self-righteous out there today? And you say, I don't know what you're talking about. Not me. I don't have that kind of sin. Well, good for you. And I want to ask you, what else do you lie about? <laughs> yes. We all have sins that we want no one to know about. And, but the fact is we hadn't hidden anything from Christ. And so he has forgiven us of our very, very worst sins. <clears throat> and even the smaller ones, whatever that is. That's a sweet story, isn't it? But it doesn't end there. Look at verse 28. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, denarii is one day's wages, so it was a hundred days of work. Uh, see, the other guy owed 150,000 years of work. This guy was forgiven. He goes out and he finds a guy that owed him a hundred days of work. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, have patience with me, and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went th and threw him in prison until he found, till he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the tortures until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Now let me clarify something right from the very beginning. That does not, that is not a doctrine, that is not a teaching, that if you have unforgiveness in your heart that you've lost your salvation. That's not what it says at all. Not at all. This is a picture of what happened to us. Jesus forgave me of all my sins under that goalpost. And all the sins I will ever commit. So how dare me, how dare me have unforgiveness in my heart because I didn't speak to you the other day at Whataburger. How dare me. Oh, I want the grace. I don't want the justice. God, I know you're going to save me. You know me. I'm, do y'all know that I believe that my picture is on God's refrigerator? <laughs> When I come to your home, and I will, one of the first things I do, we'll go to your refrigerator, and I'll see the pictures, and I'll see what's most important to you. Now, some of you are thinking, is my picture on my mother's? <laughs> uh, you come to our home, and I hope you will. You'll see my grandbabies, my perfect grandbabies. There's one other thing you'll see. As I left the last church, got lots of cards and notes from the kids. I don't know how many hundred I got, but there's one on my refrigerator. And it said, Dear God, I hope you'll give Brother Mark a good church this time. <laughs> 
<laughs> but if I come to your, your house, I'm going straight for your refrigerator. And I love to, when I come to your house, I love to interact with the kids. And parents, don't get all upset. I love to go to children's bedrooms. And I love them to show me their toys. That's their domain. That's how I interact with them. See, when you come to someone's home, you earn them. Well, Jesus doesn't have to earn me. He knows me. He knows me. He knows you. So look, in this passage, this one slave decided, I received the king's forgiveness, but I will not forgive. You see where, as a Christian, as a Christ follower, it's not an option. I don't know where any of us thought that we have the right to hold unforgiveness in our hearts. And if we do, we're not right with him. I don't know about you, the last person I want to be sideways with is with God. So let's talk about this. Let's talk about getting right with God. See, the only reason that, that God forgives us, He loves us. His love is unconditional. We love to use that word, the word agape, but it's unconditional no matter what. That's hard to believe, isn't it? It's hard to believe that the one who created all things, the one who created us, that He has forgiven us of everything. Unconditional. God offered to pay a debt too large for me to pay, but he paid it off. Here's an observation. Hurt people hurt people. Dolores, <laughs> the obituary, she had been hurt. I don't know if she'd been hurt badly, but whatever she, she decided to, to take it out on everybody else. And see, that's the problem. She took it out on her family. And that's, the pro that's our problem. You know, even as a, as a pastor, someone says something to me after this service about, well, you didn't study much this week, did you? You know, I, I've heard a lot better sermons. Did I tell you about a great sermon I heard this week? Because yours wasn't one. No matter what they say, and then I'm going to think about that all the way home. And when I get home, I have a choice. But usually it would be to take it out on my family. And even my cat. <laughs> and anybody connected to me. You hurt me. And I'm going to make everybody pay. Why do we act like that? Our flesh. But God said... I forgive you of everything, no matter what. So an observation, hurt people hurt people. The truth of the matter is, forgiven people are to forgive. That should be, if someone was going to describe you, describe us, it should be, boy, she sure is a forgiving person. You know, I said something to her last week that I know it made her blood boil. But you know, I saw her at Walmart the other day, and she was so nice to me. 
She's such a forgiving person. That should be a character trait of every born-again Christian. Forgiveness. I don't know about you, but I believe we're living in the last times, and we don't have time for that junk in the church. Because it's energy zapping. <coughs> One particular man recently that every morning in the shower I would think about him, think what I did, and I was wrong. I was wrong. I wasn't wrong in what I said to him. I was wrong in my attitude. It was, it stunk. And every morning, I don't know why, it just hit me every morning in the shower. Finally, I went and dealt with it, and I asked the man to forgive me. And you know what? I've not thought about that guy one day since. Because the word forgive equals to release. We release. That's the definition of forgiveness, is, is a decision to release a person from the obligation that resulted when they hurt you. So, let's understand. You know, we all have probably seen the book or heard the book, Love is a Decision. Love is a decision. Forgiveness is a decision. You decide, I'm going to forgive them. And you decide, I'm not going to forgive them. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31, Paul says to the church at Ephesus, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, all along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. That's a commandment from Paul to the church at Ephesus. And if the Apostle Paul was at the Bridge Fellowship right now, it would be a command to us. It's not an option. It's absolutely not an option. Warren Wiersbe, I, I, I've studied uh, Warren Wiersbe's commentaries many, many years and Here's what he says about unforgiveness. The world's darkest prison is the prison of an unforgiving heart. When we refuse to forgive others, we only imprison ourselves and compound our suffering. Some of the most miserable people I've met have been those who would not forgive others. They dream about punishing the one who wronged them and don't realize they are only punishing themselves. Do you know and realize that unforgiveness, having unforgiveness in your heart is like drinking poison and expecting it to hurt somebody else? I've also learned that miserable, bitter, unforgiving people are always tired. You know why? Because unforgiveness is an energy zapper. 
as I stood in the shower and rehearsed that over and over and over in my mind, I was tired by the time I got out of the shower. But since that day, I love getting out of the shower. I'm not weighted down. I don't have to wonder, am I going to see that guy at the basketball game? Or at the grocery store? And if I do, I'm looking forward to it. There is freedom. Unbelievable freedom. When we follow Christ. And following Christ is forgiving people. So I'm going to talk to you about what forgiveness is not. We, we're so messed up when it comes to what is forgiveness and what is forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not forgetting. How many times have you heard, well, I'll forgive you, but I'll never forget it. Okay, that's no newsflash. It happened to you. And it's not like hitting delete on that computer screen. I wish it was. You're, you're, you're going to remember it. You know, in the Bible where it says that God will, will, will not remember our, our, our sins as far as the east is from the west? Does that mean that God has amnesia where I'm concerned? No. He remembers how I did it. He just decided to forgive me. It's not forgetting. Don't even go there. You're going to remember it. But how you remember it is what's important. Forgiveness is not waiting for an apology. Well, I'm just going to sit here in my chair. I'm going to sit here at my house or my office and I'll forgive them when they walk in here and ask me to and apologize to me. The Bible doesn't teach that. Why do we believe that? Forgiveness is not ceasing to feel pain. You're still going to hurt. If you remember it, it's going to hurt that they did that to you. Okay, I forgive you. My problem is of going over it in my mind again and again and again, and that just stirs up my pain. The pain is there. Just think about the worst thing anyone's ever done to you. And all of a sudden, that pain surfaced to the, surfaces up. You hadn't forgot it. You're still hurting. But remember, forgiveness is a decision. And it's a one-time event. I bet you've heard this one. I'll forgive you this time. Wait a minute. Didn't Jesus tell Peter 490 times? This time, what are we talking about there? No, every time. Every time. Well, I'm not going to trust you. Well, that may be true. That has no, trust has nothing to do with forgiveness. Amen. I have a friend that his father owned a grocery store a man came in and robbed him and killed his father. And he appropriately said, in, went to the guy in prison, I forgive you. Now, if this guy were to get out and come to the same grocery store, no one in there is going to trust him. He's forgiven. 
It's forgiven. It's not about trust. It's about forgiving. And forgiveness is not reconciliation. Oh, all right, we're going to get together. We're going to work this out so we can live together. We can coexist together. Huh? You're not dealing with the problem. You're just going to work it out and y'all going to kind of coexist. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is releasing them from the obligation that resulted in when they first hurt you. Forgiveness is first a decision and then it's a feeling. This man I went to not long ago, it was a hard decision. Because I wasn't wrong in what I said, I was wrong in how I said it. But the moment I said to him, I was wrong, will you forgive me? That feeling. The feeling didn't bring forgiveness, my decision to forgive. But the result of my decision was a great anvil taken off my chest. An unforgiving heart will destroy your testimony and will destroy your effectiveness for Christ. So let's flesh it out, then we're through. When I forgive someone, I promise I do not want to personally hurt you. That sounds kind of vengeful, doesn't it? Well, I forgive you, but man, if you die, you die. I forgive you, and so therefore, I personally do not want to see hurt come your way. Secondly, when I forgive someone, I will not allow this incident to stand between us. If it's forgiven, it's time to move on. So don't let it stand in the way. Begin to build a great relationship. You may have to start over. And there's nothing wrong with starting over. I start over all the time. All the time. Third, when I forgive someone, I will not ever bring this incident up again to you or anybody else. That's forgiveness. Okay, so let's, let's reel this in. I entitled this message Catch and Release. I didn't realize this week there'd be so much in the news about catch and release on the border. But you fishermen know what we're talking about here. You catch the fish and you release it back into the water. The joy of having caught that fish, the, the challenge of caught that fish, that was enough to release it back. And the catch for us in living out this thing called forgiveness I'm not going to get caught up in your drama, and I don't want you getting caught up in my drama. So catch it and release it. Let's don't. Let's don't get caught up in destroying friendship and relationships and churches and testimonies because I 
was hurt. Well, congratulations. You joined in with the rest of us. As far as I can tell, 100% of you have been hurt. But it's what you decide in Christ to do with that hurt that makes all the difference in the world. I know we don't read a lot of as I have today, but many of you have read the book The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boom. If you haven't, parents, get that book. Uh, all of my books are in storage, and so I had to order it this week on Amazon to reread, and it costs $9.19. Uh, parents, you, you need to read The Hiding Place to your children. It's about a lady by the name of Corey Ten Boom and her sister Betsy. Grew up in a great Christian home, but they lived in Germany. And in the 40s, during World War II, uh, they, try, they tried to wipe all the Jews from the face of the earth. And Corey and Betsy found themselves in a concentration camp for women in a place called Ravensbrück. Somewhere around 10,000 women. And it was horrible. Let me read to you what happened. In mid-May 1945, the Allies marched into Holland to the unspeakable joy of the Dutch people. Despite the distractions of her work, Corrie ten Boom was still restless and she desperately missed her beloved Betsy. But now, Betsy had died in 1944 in the camp. Thus began more than three decades of travel around the world as a tramp for the Lord as Corrie described herself. She told people her story of God's forgiveness of sins and of the need for people to forgive those who had harmed them. Corey herself was put to the test in 1947 while speaking in a Munich church after the war. At the close of the service, a balding man in a gray overcoat stepped forward to greet her. Corey froze. She knew this man very well. He had been one of the most vicious guards at Ravensbrook. One who had mocked the women prisoners as they showered. It came back with a rush. She wrote, the huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. And now he was pushing his hand out to shake hers and saying, a fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that as you say, all of our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly about forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. It would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him. 
and the leather crop swinging from his belt. I was face to face with one of my captors and my blood froze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there, but since that time he went on, I become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I'd like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. Again, his hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there. I, whose sins had again and again had to be forgiven and could not forgive. Betsy, my sister, had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply by saying, Will you forgive me? <coughs> the soldier stood there expectantly, waiting for Corey to shake his hand. She wrestled with the most difficult thing I'd ever had to do, for I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives us has a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. Standing there before the former Nazi man, Corey remembered that forgiveness is an act of the will, not an emotion. Corey said, Jesus, help me. I can't lift my hand. I can't do that much. Or you supply the feeling. Corey thrust out her hand. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joint hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner, and I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. But even so, I realized it was not my love. I had tried, and I did not have the power. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. No one wants to be that miserable, bitter, person. I've asked you to bow your heads. And I'm going to ask you, not out loud, but I want to ask you, who's that person you're thinking about? Ever since I started this message, there is someone or someones that you've been thinking about for the last 30 or so minutes. see their face? You feel the pain? Have you heard what the Bible says? Forgiveness for the Christian is not an option. But pastor, you don't know what, yes I do. I mean, no I don't, but God knows. It doesn't matter what they've done. It is time to release. You'll never be what God wants you to be if you're walking around 
with unforgiveness in your heart. It will not happen. And what I've been most impressed about the bridge so far, I love the spirit of volunteerism here. I love what's happening here. But I believe that revival, true revival, will only come to my life and to your life and to the life of the bridge when God's people develop a forgiving heart. Father, I thank you so much that you have forgiven me. I feel, I feel just like the Apostle Paul. I am the chief sinner. But you have forgiven me. God, would you let us hear and see clearly today that for us to, to rise up and be counted for the cause of Jesus Christ in this community and all over Benzant County, I can't continue to hold unforgiveness in my heart because it will zap me of the energy I need to invest into other people's lives. Father, those names that are right there in my face, I can't, I can't even delete that screen right now. Their name, their face, what they did, what they said. God, I'm like, Corey, I can't do this. But Father, I thank you, the same Holy Spirit that gave Corey the ability to forgive is the same Holy Spirit that's in this room right now and who lives inside of his people. God, if not now, when? 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 Now is the time. Now is the time. God, forgive me. Empower me to make things right. And I will no longer walk around with this hurt guiding my thoughts and my words. What I want, what your word says, let the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and redeemer. I want to please you in my words and in my thoughts. So therefore, Lord, I realize I must, I must forgive. In Jesus' name, amen. Today, when you go to your home group, there's an assignment there, are you there? I've given you a card. And it will say the name of the person and the offense. I only listed four lines, but you can use the rest of the back of the paper. Many years ago, I gave that same assignment 
Two weeks later, a lady came to my office and said, I need you to know, I wasn't here last Sunday. She said, I had not spoken to my sister in 15 years because of a silly misunderstanding. She said, I drove to the Rio Grande Valley this week simply to ask my sister to forgive me. And she told me, for the first time in 15 years, I got to hug my sister. If not now, when? Rebecca Hessman. Thank you, Brother Mark. Um, he talked about home groups and um, that. I say it every week, you guys, it's such a great way to dive deeper into what we've been talking about on Sunday mornings. And I'm excited to tell you guys that we actually have a change in one of our home group times. We, I tell you, we, we hear you. And if you tell us that there's a need and we always want to try to meet that. And so we had a home group that was meeting in the evenings um, and they have changed that time to right after the service. And that's the King home group. And that will be at the student center. And so if you were looking for a home group and that time fit, I want you to know they have availability and they're eager and ready to do what we just talked about, dive in with you guys. And so that will be after church um, at the student center and it goes till about 1.30 and there is childcare provided if that's something that would be a need that you need met. So that's one thing. And then you guys are next Discover the Bridge. We don't have them all the time. So if you are interested in learning more about membership, um, not so that you can fill out a card to say that you're saved, obviously, okay? But if you want to, make sure um, that you understand our core values as a church, ask questions, and then, of course, have membership under the bridge, then that is the meeting for you. And if you let us know you're coming, I'll make sure there's snacks too because everybody likes to talk and ask questions and have snacks. So let us know. There's an email address on there or you can let somebody know, uh, me or one of the elders in person. And you ladies, I hope that you got an invitation when you walked in. I missed some of you, um, but I wanted to make sure that you knew each and every one of you individually. I've got more. I'll hand it to you in the back. Um, we are having a party and we want you there. It won't be the same without you. Um, it is a ladies' birthday party event. There's kind of a fun bar party theme to it. But really, we're going to be talking about the unique calling that God's placed in your life and have cake. So you guys come. I am needing some ladies to help me with that event. It's going to be a lot of fun. So if that's something that you would like to ask me about, I have people come and say, how can I help? Let me know, and I will give you some options that will fit your gifting. So um, those are the announcements that we have. If you guys will stand, we're going to close and a word of prayer before we go out. And our youth director, Parker, is going to close us in prayer. God, I thank you just for the ability for us to be able to meet here today, God, just to learn about you. God, I thank you for Mark and his word that you've given us. God, I just pray that as we move from here, uh, whether we're going to our homes or home groups, whatever it is, God, I just pray that you move your spirit on us, God. You grant us peace, God, that it's your spirit moving in the conversation, God, that, that you lead us um, in, in, into those talks, God, into um, opening up, uh, hopefully about forgiveness and, and our lack thereof. God, I, I just thank you so much. I thank you for the people here. God, I, I thank you for this church, God, and I, I just thank you for your son. God, please bring us conviction this week. In your name I pray, amen.